Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, teaching pastor at Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith, as well as our You Asked For It series, where we address your questions about trusting God's goodness as Father and living out His fullness as beloved sons and daughters. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at myoverflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional at Amazon.com. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. So in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The call to follow Jesus isn't just a call to pray a prayer so that we get to heaven one day. The call to follow Jesus is the repositioning of our entire being. Our time, our resources, our energy, our headspace, our dreams, our life goals for being and bringing light into every dark corner of creation. The call to follow Jesus is the call to restore brokenness and to answer injustice. The call to follow Jesus is the call to be the voices of discovery and innovation and advancement for the human race, actually reigning with God to bring heaven to the earth and to release a billion multifaceted celebrations of his goodness and his love and his power and his beauty in the place we inhabit. As the people of God, we're not just called to release missionaries, but we're called as people to walk missionally and to tangibly shape the place we're planted so it and they can experience God. This morning, I want to challenge our view of what we mean when we talk about the church. I want to share this morning that the church is not a building you go to. A church is the, the body you belong to. A church is not a service you attend. The church is the sent ones that have been called out to actually be the light of the world. And if you look through most of our history, somebody say the word most with me this morning. Say most. If you look through most of our history, you'll see the church has done exactly that. But somewhere along the way, we redefined what it meant to be the church. And so I want to look at what it would mean for us this morning in four ways that we've been called to redeem our calling to be a city on a hill and to change the city we inhabit through justice, leadership, the arts, and our own sphere of influence. Are you ready? 
I want you to say this. Say, Jesus, here I am. All right, good. Now this time we're going to say it like we mean it. Jesus, here I am. I am ready for you to challenge and to awaken me. I don't want to be bored in church. I want to be sent as the church. If you agree with that, say amen. So I want to share some declarations for who we're called to be as the church to remind us as the bride of Christ our calling and what we're actually seeing God do in the city right now and to invite you this morning to a deeper place that we can walk in it. The first one is this. The church is called to walk among the broken, to answer injustice, and to restore wholeness in society. Now, that's a big one. I need to say it again because I believe that there is power in our agreement. I believe that when we agree with heaven, something is established on earth. And so as I read this again, I want you now, you've heard it once. I want you to hear it and come into agreement and say, yeah, that is what God says about his church. The church is called to walk among the broken, to answer injustice and restore wholeness in society. Do you agree with that? Say amen. amen. When you hear the heart of God in the Old Testament, in the book of Micah, he says this. He says, he has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Notice he doesn't say, what does God require of you but to hold really cool church services and have light shows and fog and be the, the hippest show in town. He says that's not what God actually requires. What God requires is that you would do justice. Notice he didn't say that sometimes you'd go to some justice events. Sometimes you'd host some justice causes. He said, no, you, the people of God, have been called to do justice. When we look at the heart of what that actually means, God goes a little bit further in the book of Isaiah. He says this, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and you satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness. Does it look dark outside, church? Does it look dark outside when we turn on our news screens and hear what's going on around us? He says, what's the answer to darkness? What is it? If you would pour yourself out for the hungry, if you'd satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom in your city will become noonday. The call of the people of God has always been to come alongside the broken and the lonely the widow and the orphan, the hungry and the naked and the poor, and to walk with them in incarnation to see Jesus restore their dignity. The call of the church is further than that. It's the call of the church to rescue the vulnerable from every form of abuse and mistreatment and neglect. And for most of our history, the church has done exactly that. If you look back, and I spent some time really asking the Lord this question of where has the church gone for most of our history, and I didn't try to categorize it. I just tried to look at history and see who God has poured through and what movements came and where the church was at the front lines. And what I saw at the very top of everything I could see about the church is her call to be a champion of justice. And so some of these names that we could bring before you of leaders that have stood in justice, Sojourner Truth. William Wilberforce, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who found himself in the midst of Hitler's regime standing for the cause of Christ, Nelson Mandela, Florence Nightingale, Martin Luther King Jr., George Mueller, who started an orphanage when he had no funds to start an orphanage and watch God feed orphans, William and Catherine Booth, the founders of the Salvation Army, 
fighting poverty and hunger. Mother Teresa and Amy Carmichael and Corey Ten Boom and Harriet Beecher Stowe. And listen, this list could have gone on and on and on and on. I just needed to fit it all in one slide, so I stopped there. When you look at the call of the church on the front lines of justice, the church didn't see themselves as called within a building in the separation of the sacred and the secular. The church saw themselves called onto the marketplace to change things in their city. And the first place she did it was in justice. If you look at healthcare, you will find that the infrastructure of all of our modern healthcare, in fact, the invention of the modern hospital is largely due to the Catholic and Protestant church. See, this is Gordon Hospital in Atlanta, and it says it's extending the healing ministry of Christ. What I find fascinating, even to this day, if you look in the third world, it's the church that is still a leading provider going on medical missions to go to the most vulnerable, the most disenfranchised, because... Through most of history, the church understood that the call to healing and health care and what we do in hospitals is not something separate from church, but it's a continuation of the healing and wholeness ministry of Christ. The church led the way. So I want to say to us this morning, I think it's time for the church to stop blaming the government for falling short where the church has been called. In fact, I'll go a little bit deeper. I want to say it's, I think it's time for the church to stop complaining, period. Okay, I don't know about you, but I've just heard too much complaint, and I believe right now what Jesus says is the field is ripe for harvest. We need less commentary and more commissioning. We need less finger pointing and more hands providing. The church has been called on the front lines to fight for justice. The first way the church goes is a city on a hill. The second is this. The church has been called to lead society in discovery and innovation, so we experience the fullness of the knowledge and the power of God. What's the calling? What does it mean when you say we're the church? It's not that place I go on Sunday morning and sing songs. No, when God talks about the church, he's talking about the people who lead their society as a city on a hill in discovery and innovation, so we experience the fullness and knowledge of the power of God. I love this in Psalm 24. This is God's commentary on what's going on today. He says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Listen to what God's saying. He's saying all of creation. Somebody say all. All, all of creation is mine, God says. So what is his response? that creation would lift up their heads and see him and invite him in. And I get excited about this because in Romans chapter 8, it says that right now, whether you know it or not, all of creation is groaning. Sometimes groaning sounds like complaint. Sometimes groaning sounds like blaming. Sometimes groaning sounds like whining. But it said, don't be confused by all the noise you're hearing. What's actually happening is all of creation is groaning for the sons and daughters of God to know who they are, to stand up and to open up the gates so that all of creation can see the king of glory come in. That's the call of the church, not the government. And through most of the history of the church, we've seen that it was the church that led society to uncharted waters in science and technology in education, in architecture, in government, and business, and in building all infrastructure for strong families, strong economies, and strong cities. And did you know when the church did this through most of history, it wasn't seen as anti-God. 
It was seen as coming alongside God. It wasn't until the dust settled in the post-enlightenment that we, like Eden, thought that we had acquired knowledge that meant we didn't need God anymore. And in the days that followed that, you can read your history book and see that the church retreated behind monastic walls, allowing the separation of the sacred and the secular, abandoning our vocation in the marketplace as an act of worship to build and lead systems of health and order in our own hometowns. But for most of our history, the church produced the leaders of industry. You look at architecture. And I was shocked to see this. You go all the way back in the Bible to the days of the tabernacle and the temple and all of that description. You remember those long chapters in the Bible, right? Finely twisted linen and gold and scarlet yarn, and you're like, oh, my goodness. But all this care for the architecture, and did you know since that day, it's the church, it's people of faith that have been on the leading edge of architecture. We have entire styles that have been formed and informed because they were built by and housed by people walking as people of faith. You see, the, the Gothic, Baroque, Byzantine, and Renaissance styles were founded by the church. You go further than that. You look in the realm of education. These days, many people will view that if you go to church, you've checked your brains at the door. But did you know, in our history, the whole reason we have universities is because of the church. If you look and see our universities, just a few that have been named that I wanted to list for you. A few Ivy League schools that the church birthed. Harvard, Yale, Brown, Dartmouth, Princeton, Rutgers, Notre Dame, Georgetown, Boston College, and the College of William and Mary, just to name a few. You step into the realm of science and technology. I was shocked to find out, because I told you as I did this, I wasn't trying to categorize anything. I was just trying to see what people of faith have done through the history in the name of Christ. And I found, did you know the founders and the fathers of nearly every branch that you could find in science, philosophy, and mathematics were all people of faith living on mission. Just to name a few, the founders and fathers of scientific natural history, the scientific method, the laws of planetary motion, parasitology, microbiology, physiology, chemistry, taxonomy, paleontology. It's starting to sound like one of those commercials with the side effects for a medicine, right? <laughs> and the church has been at the front of all of this. You go deeper and you see leaders like Galileo Galilei, Johannes Kepler, Blaise Pascal, who was not only a mathematician, but a philosopher who wrote an influential book, Ponce, where he talked a lot about the nature of creation, came up with something called Pascal's Wager, which to this day helps people to, to argue for the existence of God and how reasonable it is. Isaac Newton, the mathematician and the discoverer of gravity. I'm grateful for him or we'd be falling all over the place. Some of you will get that later. Just because you discover gravity, it's already existed. Anyway... Alessandro Volta, the inventor of the modern battery. In fact, the unit of energy, if you look at his last name, the Volt is named after him. Every time you get a nine-volt battery, you get it because there was a man of God living on mission. Andre-Marie Ampieri was the co-founder of electromagnetism, and the unit of electric current, the amp, was named after him. George Washington Carver, a scientist, botanist, educator, and the inventor, praise God, of peanut butter. Louis Pasteur, the chemist famed for his discoveries in microbial fermentation and pasteurization. So listen, next time you're eating that PB&J with a glass of milk is because two revivalists named George and Louis in the name of Christ were living, believing that their glory went beyond the walls of the church. Goes further, Lord Kelvin, what a cool name. And you like your name to be Lord? Just call me Lord Ammons. 
Lord Kelvin had foundational work in the first and second laws of thermodynamics. Victor Francis Hess, who discovered cosmic rays. George Limiter, the proposer of the Big Bang Theory. And guys, that's not just the TV show, that's the actual theory he proposed, so that's pretty awesome. Werner Heisenberg, the creator of quantum mechanics. And Katherine Johnson, the space scientist, physicist, and mathematician whose calculations of orbital mechanics as a NASA employee was critical to our success in our first and subsequent US manned space flights. Her story is shared in the book and film, Hidden Figures. If you look, since 1901, in this time that I told you of post-enlightenment where the church has been retreating, even in that time, 65% of Nobel Peace Prize winners have been awarded to Christians who are living boldly on mission. Why? Because God has called the church to lead their society and reveal his love and his power. Now, this is amazing because as I started to look about these first two that we're talking about, the church in justice and the church in leadership. When I looked at the church's role in justice, I saw overwhelmingly the names behind it were women. And the reason I love this is a few things. One, you can see in the nurturing care, the mothering of women, that of course it would be women leading our society in the way of justice. The second, that women, I just want to encourage you, where I've watched is this was in an age where women were told they couldn't have a place of leadership, and yet... They defined the work of the church in areas of justice, going to the lost, the least, the last, the leper. When you look at works of justice to this day, often it's women that stand at the forefront, which, by the way, if you're wondering why at many churches who are doing justice causes, you see more women than men, is a lot of times they see their lane right away where they can run, and it makes sense. But when you step into this realm of leadership, this entrepreneurial, this government, this business, this finance, this family, this moving the pillars of society, you're going to see almost 99% of the leaders are men. There's two reasons for that. One would be, of course, the society that we lived in really only empowered men and wouldn't often let women be a voice there. But if we look at the order of creation, can't you see a lot of men who God has given an entrepreneurial leadership spirit to build pillars at society? And yet, if you want to say, then why... Are most churches full of women with men who don't know what to do? And I'm going to tell you, this is what I believe. I believe many men are bored in church because there's a vast divide between the world where they work and the world where they worship. Here's what happens. We get men in church and we tell them they need to raise their hands and they need to sing out. And here's the deal. If you're artistic, I'm going to talk about the arts in a minute. If you're artistic and you're a man, then you'll find your lane in the church there. But if you have a leadership anointing as a man and you didn't get that, you're like, I don't know why people are crying all the time and it's kind of freaking me out. And you have an anointing for leadership and of course you care about justice, but your lane is leadership. And you go to work and when you go to work, you move things, you change things, you build things. You're watching things come from disorder into order and then you come to church and you're told to sing songs and to listen and to behave. Why are men bored in church? Because the church has lost and relinquished her role as leaders of society. And we desperately need, again, to say to men who have an entrepreneurial vision, and I want to say if this is you, that's you, you're like, oh, my gosh, you're, de you're defining me. You guys go into worship, and it's like, I get it, and I love Jesus, but I'm not referring to God as my daddy, and I don't understand why you guys are crying. But you care deeply about order and disorder. You care deeply about the order of the family and finances. And, and you've walked into rooms that told you that what you want is less spiritual because you're not crying when you do it. I want to say in Jesus' name, the same spirit that is in you we desperately need. That is being spiritual in Jesus' name for the kingdom of God. 
So in the days ahead, what we're going to see is just as you've seen a heart for justice and the arts raise at Overflow Church, I'm telling you, you're going to see it now. We're going to watch a heart for leadership rise up, and men and women who have an entrepreneurial call are going to see that there's not a separation anymore between the world where they work and the world where they worship. They're going to recognize that the God that gifted them in both of those things called them as the church to change their city. We've got to be back at the place where we deploy people to strong leadership in our cities. The church has been called to lead. The third one is this. The church is called to release the celebration and demonstration of the creativity, majesty, and all-encompassing love of God upon the earth. I'm talking here about the arts. One of my favorite verses in the entire New Testament, Ephesians 2.10, it says this, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And I love this. In Greek, this word workmanship, it actually is poema. It's where we get our word poem. So if you wanted to translate this another way, it would be this. You are God's poem, created to walk with him and create poetry. God is creator, so he's made you creative. In a unique way, your life is his poem, pointing to the majesty and the beauty of who he is. And this is crazy because today if you go out and ask people what they think about art coming out of the church, it's largely been a joke. Because largely in music, in art, in film, the church has been about 15 years behind the curve of everything the world is doing. So the church watches what the world does and they copy it. I can remember a time as a youth pastor where I went in and I saw this Christian bookstore. And I hope you understand I'm not casting stones, but I am on a little bit of a soapbox because I'm a little annoyed and I probably need to forgive. I went into a Christian bookstore and I saw all these Christian t-shirts. They were all like, you can now wear and defend your faith. And every single one of them, guys, was a ripoff of something that already existed in the world. And they weren't even good ones. It was things like, you know, Crest is a toothpaste, so now we're going to have one. Christ, he makes you refreshing. And I'm like, who's going around with a Crest t-shirt in the first place? <laughs> Instead of Reese's, the candy, it's Jesus. And on and on and on it went. In Christian music, what you've seen is, is the joke has been, you're going to hear what comes out now, and nine months from now, you're going to hear every Christian band trying to make a living is just copying the next Ed Sheeran or the next voice, trying to do what it'll take to get on the radio. But did you know there was a time for most of our history that that would not have been true, that the church led the way? The church were the voices of the largest celebrators of God's power and his beauty through music and literature and theater and poetry and painting and dance and photography and sculpting through the arts. And during this age, the church didn't see the arts as entertainment or an elective or a distraction. The church recognized in their city that a healthy perspective on the arts was a prophetic picture of who God is that would pave a path so souls could know him. You go back through most of history, you see all of our art that we know, that we fame. Leonardo da Vinci in The Last Supper. Michelangelo in the Sistine Chapel. Or Michelangelo when he put down the paintbrush and began to sculpt, and he sculpted David. Raphael who painted the Transfiguration in Madonna. Donatello who sculpted Bronze David. All the Ninja Turtles. All the Ninja Turtles did it. Right? You go further than that, you see paintings like Rembrandt's Return of the Prodigal Son, Van Gogh's Starry Night, 
You move into music and you see that all of the classical composers, everything that you could hear in classical music were people living on mission for God to share the beauty in the marketplace of who he was so that people would open up their eyes and open up their gates and see him. Whenever you hear Handel's Messiah or Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, or you go to a wedding, I went to a beautiful wedding, Josh Harper getting married and heard Canon and D by Pachelbel. When you hear this, this was a song of worship. The works of Vivaldi and Bach and Mozart and Haydn and Mendelssohn and Liszt and Verdi and on and on it goes. You turn over the page into literature and you see not a few, but the majority of the literature we would consider our classics came from men and women of faith trying to express the beauty and the glory of God so that people would be moved and know him. John Bunyan in Pilgrim's Progress, C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia, J.R.R. Tolkien in The Lord of the Rings, Jane Austen with Pride and Prejudice, Fyodor Dostoevsky with Brothers Karamazov, the works of George MacDonald and Emily Dickinson and Flannery O'Connor and Charles Dickens and John Milton and Jonathan Swift and Wendell Berry and Leo Tolstoy, and the list goes on and on and on. You step beyond that and you look in the realm of film. Did you know the Christmas film? We're coming to Christmas days right now. It's a wonderful life, Frank Capra. Frank Capra, a passionate follower of Christ that wanted to give a picture of what it would look like to walk with him. And in the day we live now, you fast forward from all of that to 2021. In a difficult post-pandemic world that we're in. Right now, our schools, our elementary, middle school, and high school, they're having to cut funding in many places. And as you may or may not know, the place where funding is getting cut right away right now is in the arts. Did you know that God gave a vision here in this house years before we ever hit a pandemic? Gave it to Caitlin Tafflinger and then to Pastor Ruth Spiegel that we would have a place that would train up elementary, middle, and high school students in the arts. We have a fine arts program that has continued to flourish in the midst of a pandemic. And whether you know it or not, in this past year, when schools were saying we have to cut back on our funding, Overflow Church made the agreement to take our fine arts out from being our church program to a community-wide program of the arts that now is welcoming people in from the community to be trained to know the glory in them so that we change our city in the arts. Isn't that amazing? So I want you to do this with me right now. I want you to just lift up your hands. We're just going to pray for Pastor Ruth and for Caitlin, their leadership team in fine arts. Jesus, I thank you for the prophetic vision that you gave your daughters. I thank you that before it came, you knew the time would come that it's the church's role to step back up. I see the day, Lord, where Brandon, Florida looks like Nashville. I love going to Nashville because Nashville understands the power of the arts. They understand it's not an elective. They understand it's a beauty of experience and the fullness of life. And you can't walk in a coffee shop or a restaurant or a bookstore in Nashville and not see people writing the most beautiful art that you could ever imagine. I believe that's your desire for this city, and I believe it's the church's job to do it. So in Jesus' name, we bless fun arts and fine arts. We bless their leadership. We bless their finances. We bless their scope. And we call for people all around in this city, elementary, middle, and high school, we call for you to come. And you will know not only the gift that's in you, but the God who gave you that gift. If you agree with that, say amen. Now here's what's awesome about that. Fine arts is doing their job. But the call to the arts is not just for kids. We desperately need a call to return to the church of all ages to champion the arts in our city. So all of that said, what's the vision? What is it that God is saying right now for Overflow Church that we're supposed to do if, if we're going to actually fulfill our call to be sent? I believe it's this. 
God desires for the church not just to release individual missionaries who release the gospel to individuals. We're called to that. We're called to that. God has told us that we definitely need to make sure that we all know the hope that is within us, that we're prepared to give a defense for it, and that we live our lives on mission so that our neighbors, our coworkers, our family, that individuals are coming into the kingdom. But we can't stop there because the true church of Jesus Christ never does. We can't just release individual missionaries who release the gospel to individuals. But we must go as communities who will live missionally and go into our community permeating and tangibly changing the region by restoring justice, protecting the vulnerable, leading in innovation and discovery, and reclaiming the fullest expression of the creative arts. I believe this is the way we bring heaven to earth as a city on a hill in Brandon, the Bay, and beyond. And what I'm sharing with you this morning is nothing new. There are leaders much smarter than me that for many years have been writing about the church's role, and they didn't talk about it just as three things. They expanded out the three that I've summed up as seven mountains that we step on. In fact, we'll show you a slide of seven mountains that leaders say, if the church could reclaim their role here, if they could live on mission here, we'd see something. That we live with business, religion, family, government, education, arts and entertainment, and media. That we would run forward into our calling. And if the church can do that, if in every place we could run there, we will see heaven come to earth. The role of the church is a role of incarnation. That through our presence, through slowing down, we'd get outside of the walls of the church, and we would know people, and we would release God's glory in every area in justice, and leadership, in the arts, and whatever our sphere of influence is. And so the million-dollar question is this. How do we do that? Well, one of the reasons that you hear us again and again and again and again talk about missional communities, and listen, I know for some of you, it might be getting annoying now. You're like, oh my gosh, did he just say missional communities again? Yes, and we'll continue to every single week. Here's the reason. The church isn't called to be a service. She's called to be sent ones. When we come together, we know that as the church, there's a great importance for us coming together to hear the vision that God has. What I'm trying to cast today is the vision I believe God wants for Brandon. And it's awesome that we hear it, but we can't leave this place and say, we did church. No, we didn't. We heard a vision. This is the pep rally. That's the game. And if we're ever going to walk as the church, we've got to get in smaller intentional communities where we know each other and we know the gifts in each other so that we can call out the greatness in each other and find our lane wherever that is, in justice or leadership or the arts or your sphere of influence, that a group of families would say, you know what, we can come together in the cause of Christ and change our city in this way as we're being discipled together. And what excites me is Overflow Church, we're just now coming up on our third birthday. Isn't that great? So happy third birthday. We're getting out of our terrible twos. So next year is going to be a great year. We're starting to toddle around, and we're going to get fast this year. That's what that means. So as we're running into our third year, I want to tell you this morning, and, I, and really where I wanted us to go is I didn't just want to give you a theoretical picture. I want to share with you that Overflow Church is presently doing this. We're walking this out in missional community together. So what I want to do is I just talked about three areas, justice, leadership, and the arts. And I want you to go with me for a few minutes, because what we're going to do is we're going to take one area of those. We're going to take justice. And in fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to even sum it up more than that. I'm going to take one area of justice, our care for the orphan. Can we all agree that's a very small sliver of what God would call the church to do in our, in our city, right? That God calls the church to care for the orphan, but a whole lot more than that in justice, leadership, and the arts. But I want to share with you this morning three missional communities who saw a lane in caring for the orphan through fostering, through advocating, and through becoming lifelong mentors for people who have aged out of the foster system and never had a family to call their own. 
And they're reclaiming their place, not in the walls of the church, y'all, but they're stepping out in the marketplace as the church. They're being sent as Overflow Church and watching God change lives. So first, I want to share with you the leaders of my missional community that I get the joy of spending every single Friday night with. If you'd please welcome with me Josh and Courtney Lambert. I heard a seal back there as you're coming up. That's awesome. We have all kinds of people cheering for you. Josh and Courtney, we love each other so much. We now live eight-tenths of a mile away from each other, so it's good to see you on this side of town. I want to ask the question this morning because, so for people who don't know, as you've walked through your journey, you guys um, came to Overflow Church as a married couple. Some things were stirring in your heart. No children. But God had been stirring this call to fostering. And in a pretty radical way, you said, you know what? The way we're going to start building our family is we want to foster to reunify the best that we can. And we're going to take in people that are needed. And you stepped right to the front lines. Can you share a little bit about your call to fostering? Like what led you guys to do that as a married couple stepping in? What led you to the point that you jumped over the line and said, we're going to foster? So um, we just felt a stirring. um, And we had a, we were sitting where you guys are right now. Um, listening to a sermon from Pastor Chuck about how his family was fostering, and we just really felt called. So we went out to lunch because we didn't have any kids at that point. And uh, (laughs) and, uh, just Remember those days out to lunch? Wasn't that great? (laughs) And we were just talking about it, and we really just felt that this was our calling. So um, essentially we had a house to fill because we didn't have any children in it, and a call from the Lord, and we just said yes. And what I find amazing about this is they're kind of selling this a little too short because they didn't just say yes once that a toddler came in. Then they heard there was another need. And I don't know if you're aware, but right now in Hillsborough, Pasco, and Pinellas County, the need is so great that there are kids that cannot find a safe home to go in. This past month, there was one day that 118 kids were taken out of the care of their parents and there was no place for them to go. 118 more uh, families than we have ready to receive them. And so they're sleeping in offices and all these calls coming. And so Josh and Courtney didn't just say yes once to a boy that came in. They had a, a second younger boy that came after that, and they said, yes, we have more room. And then just now, three weeks ago, a, a beautiful infant, Tyler, came, and they said, Travis, Travis sorry. They're all the same. Yeah, all the T's. I know him. I just held him. Um, <laughs> he wants to be called Tyler. I'll talk to you about it later. So Travis came into your care, and so now you've gone from having no kids to the most natural parents I've seen. If you've been around them to watch the anointing, as parents of three boys walking in this place, which I just I find amazing. And, and what I saw was it wasn't enough for you to just say yes there. The way it works when you find your lane in the kingdom of God is you can never check a box and say we're done. Is that it ignites you. You have to run more. It's never about what do I need to do. And that's what I want to tell you. If you're viewing church as what you need to do, you haven't found your lane yet. And that's okay. I say that as an invitation, not a condemnation, because there's a lane that's a glory that when you see it, nobody's going to have to drag you to church or to community. You're going to be saying, can I actually have permission to do this for the sake of Christ? This is actually the gospel. And so you saw at this point that it wasn't enough for you to just be a foster family. You joined with our missional community. You started leading and advocating so greatly that Jill and I felt like we don't need to be leading this group. We asked you to lead. So you are our missional community leaders, and they're killing it, y'all. Beautiful job leading us. And then in addition to that, you stepped in and said a door of hope 
which is the largest foster care agency in the state of Florida and the foster care agency that we are partnered with, that we are foster families with, you met with Godly Daniel, their executive director, and said, we're ready to become the liaisons for Overflow Church, that every place where Overflow Church needs to come and bless a door of hope and bless this region, we want to be the voices. Can you tell us a little bit about that, just stirring up what God has been doing? Yeah, we, um, I talk to Godly probably once a week just to pray for him and just see where he's going, where his mindset is. And they need a spot in Hillsborough County. Uh, Pasco and Pinellas are very well served. Hillsborough has historically not been well served with a door of hope and just in general. Um, and as the leaders, we talked to Chuck, we talked to the, the church body as well. And we're going to open up overflow for classes for foster parents to become licensed starting in January. And I think they already have, uh, I talked to Sherry, who's the licensing supervisor for Hillsborough, 17 families coming in January to be licensed. Amazing. So good. So if you get around Josh or Courtney for long, you're going to hear just passion pouring out. And so one of the things I told all three interviews that we have, three interviews this morning, I said I want to keep us super focused because we don't have uh, anything short of the glory we want to share. But I want to give you an opportunity right now. You've got the microphone. What charge do you feel Jesus would give you to give the church right now if they're trying to find their lane of where God's called them to advocate and run? Yeah, it, to be sent, you just say yes. I know, I won't take too long. I'm sorry. Um, but essentially, in my opinion, if you've ever declined something and you've regretted it later, it's because the Lord was telling you to say yes in the first place. We jump head first and we take it a little bit differently, but... Every single time we have said uh, no to something, we've regretted it, um, and that's because we knew we should have said yes in the first place. Uh, we knew we had the capacity and we could grow, and, and when the Lord's telling us to do something, you just have to jump in head first and, and make it happen, especially for our community. The other thing I would add is um, over the last two years of fostering, something we've learned um, Quite well, is that um, our day-to-day -day is very uncomfortable. You're welcoming people into your home. Um, you don't know what shape they're coming in. You'd love to bless them. Um, but you're welcoming not only children, but case managers, guardians, um, biological family members. Um, so you're constantly living very uncomfortable. And in the beginning, that was a little rough. But as soon as you realize who your true comforter is, um, anything's possible. So if you're sitting on the sidelines, um, the Lord's putting a mission on your heart, just step forward because he will cover you and you just, he's just going to do it. So good. Can you give it up for Josh and Courtney? So I love how this continues. So Josh and Courtney responded to the call to foster. It became so overwhelming to them that they got around other families to foster. By the way, so you know, the statistics are this. Right now, in Hillsborough, Pasco, and Pinellas County, if one family in every three churches would foster, we would have no more foster crisis. We would be the church stepping up to once again see families put where they can be reunified. Right now, the statistics are something like one family out of every seven churches is fostering. But because of families like the Lamberts who came and gave their yes, it's drawn other families. We have something like seven foster families right now in our church. So we're not one for seven. We're seven for one. And this is what I love. As Josh and Courtney continued to advocate, as they continued to share, and as they continued to walk in community, other friends and other missional communities started hearing about this heart for the orphan. And they said, you know what? 
Our heart's burning just as much as yours is for the orphan, but we're not called to foster, and there's got to be something bigger. And I started hearing these strategic questions from people all the time of how else can we get involved with the orphan? How else can we help with this? Because we believe, James 1.27, that religion that's pure and undefiled is to care for the widow and orphan in their distress. We want in. And so sure enough, it was another missional community that came and heard a route not to foster, but to advocate and come alongside foster families. And we've watched God just explode something in our region. Would you please welcome Jonathan and Nikki Hathorn? <laughs> Things going all right? You guys weren't sitting together. I just wanted to check. Just kidding. <laughs> Good. So Jonathan and Nikki, this is, um, this is pretty awesome because I've gotten an opportunity to build a relationship with your family, and, and specifically, i actually gotten kind of an opportunity to build relationships with you separately. And Jonathan, you and I, where we've really built a lot of our friendship is around going to lunch together. And so there was a few years ago that you came to me, and you said, okay, I've been coming to Overflow Church. Um, you asked to meet with me for lunch. And if you don't know, Jonathan is a, is a leader. Um, he leads two businesses, very intentional in everything that he does. And so I knew coming, Jonathan would have an agenda of where he wanted to go for lunch and what he wanted to talk about. We showed up at lunch, and he said, listen, I'm going to do something I never do. I don't have any idea why I've called you to lunch today, because what's happening is this. I'm coming to church, and I'm hearing all about intimacy, and I'm watching everybody cry, and they're raising their hands, and they're all emotional, and I know there's something real, and some of it weirds me out. But I know there's something more, and I want more. And I just want to know if I could talk about what, what do I need to do to see more from God? We had this beautiful lunch together, and I've always, if you spend any time around Jonathan, he's so disarming because he's just so honest about everything he feels. And I saw something stirring, and, and I said, well, Jonathan, you didn't have an agenda, and I don't really have answers other than I'm going to pray with you. We're just going to pray that God's going to give more, that God's going to stir more. So sure enough, it was a few months later that Jonathan came back. Probably, gosh, we, we hit a pandemic. We came on the other side of it. We came back, and it was during the time where you had to wear masks everywhere, but you said, hey, can we meet for lunch? And this time, Jonathan came in as a man on fire. He shows up in the restaurant, and he's like, listen, something has happened. I'm hearing the voice of God. I'm emotional during worship. I don't know what's, what is going on, but this passion is just overwhelming me, and I'm starting to hear this thing about the orphan, and I want to know how we can advocate more, how we can come around more. And so we began to talk, and it was just, it was awesome to hear Jonathan just preaching in the middle of the sushi ninja. And after that time, it was their missional community came and found a lane to advocate. They heard that for a door of hope in Pinellas and Pasco County, they have a number of foster closets. And the reason this matters is when you're a foster parent, so for a family like ours, a lot of times when you're receiving a child, you receive them with no information and nothing but a yellow folder that comes. The first 72 hours this child is coming to your home can either be the most traumatic or the most healing, depending on how positioned you are to really love and care for them. And so foster agencies have come around with foster closets to make sure that in those first 72 hours, you have everything you need, that you're not having to run out to the store, that you're ready to receive them at whatever hour they show up, and typically it's pretty late when they show up with you. Jonathan and Nikki and their missional community found out there wasn't a foster closet in Hillsboro, and it was in short order that Jonathan reached out and said, we're going to do something about that. If you leave today and you look on the front of our property, you'll see that one of the only foster closets in Hillsborough County is right here at Overflow Church because a missional community got a vision how to advocate. And so we're getting families drive up on our property now often that are getting what they need to be ready for that first 72 hours. But we weren't done. 
And a few months later, you said again, can we go to lunch? And I was like, man, glory shows up when we go to lunch, Jonathan. We could take this city just by going to lunch. And Jonathan showed up and said, listen, now I'm, I'm fired up. I think I see a lane for a way that we can come alongside. I've been asking lots of questions of foster families and what they need. And I see that around Christmas time, there's lots of support. But the rest of the year, foster families, the foster parents, the biological families, they kind of get forgotten. And as I've talked to foster families, I've seen that they say a lot of times the foster kids are cared for, but not the foster parents or the biological kids in that home. And not a lot of events do anything to actually reach out to reunify and try to build a bridge to the biological parents of that child that have come in. That I think I've got a vision for something that's going to come. And the way was born, which we're going to talk about in just a minute. Jonathan, I, I just want to ask this question to you because I think that there would be other men, even as we talked about that, men that have a leadership anointing that are coming and saying, I love Jesus. In the world where I work, man, I'm seeing things come, but I maybe haven't connected that to understand that that's being a passionate worshiper. But something has changed within you. Well, you're a man on fire now. Can you just share with us what that, what that transition looked like, what God's been doing in your life? Well, between those first two lunches, one thing I ended up saying yes to was coming up front and let Pastor Lynn pray over me. And since that day, something broke there. Can't be defined. That day, uh, just the joy and peace you find in things that were just driving me crazy, the ability to want to do more, want to help, was coming out so much more. So started there. Um, but then after that, it was just a matter of um, had one of your call to arms um, <laughs> back in February about saying yes. If you're hearing something, something's stirring in you, just go do it. And I had um, talked to James Cornwell here at Rise a couple weeks before that, and what he had been talking about kind of matched. I went right over there after after you finished and said, hey, James, let's meet for lunch. Figure something out. Yeah. And that was back in February, and then had the event. So it, it's a lot in between. We didn't know where to go. It, it was dozens of meetings between James and Ken Ackerman, Phil Lowe, a ton of meetings still, um, to get everything put together. Um, so... And then once we decided what we were going to do, there was even more like Caitlin. As much mm -hmm. as Caitlin's doing, I drove her nuts for the last couple of months getting the site and the volunteers and the RSVPs, which, you know, was hundreds, uh, it turned out. Um, but it was just a matter of saying yes and meeting these people that are here that are awesome. They all want to help. Forty-five people came to volunteer and make this event bigger than we could imagine. So I think everybody here wants to help. You just, if you feel a call, go out. Get with us, and we'll join you, and, and, and something awesome will happen. That's so good. So good. And I want to say this right now. If there are any men that felt what Jonathan felt, like where, where you talk and say, man, that leadership thing you're talking about has been me, I'm just going to say this right now. You need to see Pastor Lynn and let him pray over you, because the reason our senior pastor, he has an anointing specifically in leadership, and it specifically flows. So it doesn't surprise me when I look at who you are in the kingdom, who you are in the kingdom and who he is in the kingdom met together with something he had to release to you and it unlocked something in your life that's deeply spiritual. That we're so as, as we continue to go forward in your missional community, what I love is from there, some months passed and the family that we had been fostering for two and a half years came to the place where they were ready to be reunified with their dad, which is so cool. And maybe you guys were here uh, some months ago before the summer when this happened, we got the opportunity on Father's Day to bring up the birth father of, um, of our foster kids, Christian and Serenity, and Chris came up, and we got to pray over him, we got to celebrate him, because what an incredible man he is and how he's running. And in that, I said, listen, 
Right now, this man needs some support. He needs the church to come around him. I can vouch and say for two and a half years what I've known of him and what I'm watching in him, the character, the integrity. He needs people to come as babysitters. He needs some leads on some things going with jobs. He needs some advice on some directions, and he really needs some support. So who can come around him? And we filled the multi-purpose room out here with people that came forward and said, I want in. I didn't know at the time most of them were your missional community. But then I went on sabbatical. So I was gone for a month, and as soon as I came back, it was your missional community that made a beeline to me. Gosh, one of the first days I was back. It said, we've got to talk right now. Can we please have permission to adopt them? And we take them in because what we want more than anything is we have a vision to come around and be their babysitters, be their care, be their support. And so since that time, since the summer, that's where you've been running. And it has completely transformed this family. I mean, he reaches out to me often and just brags on the support that's come. That, for me, is what it means to be the church of our dreams. Can you tell me what that has been like? What's been happening as you've adopted the Rendon family and are walking with them now that they've been reunified? Sure. So um, the Rendons, gosh, if you guys just, uh, if you ever talk with them, you just, they're, they're a family who might be short on a few things like support, um, but they are not short on love. And it is a family who is doing absolutely everything in their power to uh, do right by their kids and be together and stay together. Um, and so what it looks like for us as a group to support them um, is on Thursdays we babysit and it's like a it's like a two-person job because you've got one kid at a daycare on one side of the county and one kid at a daycare on the other side of the county. And so it's like coordinating, picking up one kid and meeting up and then getting them to one place so that Chris can work a couple of extra hours um, to support his family and then come get uh, his kids. And it looks like helping with a birthday party um, for, uh, for the kids to just um, provide a place to have the birthday party and um, pizza and drinks and presents and um, fun and um, uh, so that day was just awesome getting to see Christina got to come their mom she's working so hard um, to get to be back with her kids and she was just in the pool playing with them and Chris got to relax for a change and um, it was it was it was it was heaven it was pretty awesome um, and then Chris lives right down the road so uh, there's been a couple occasions where he needed someone to pick him up, like car trouble and stuff like that. And so he, he, it's just awesome to be the people that he can call when he yeah. needs that little extra, because he's doing an awesome job of it on his own, but um, needs that little extra support sometimes. So, yeah. So I want to talk just one more thing with your missional community, because as this has progressed, it's gotten bigger and bigger. And so now it leads us to the way. You've started an actual nonprofit um, that what it exists for is during times that are not just the Christmas time that is flooded, but all around the year that you would create places of celebrations for, for birth parents, foster parents, biological kids, foster kids, all to come together and not only have this tremendous community of support and celebration around them, but actually be able to get the information from those foster families that don't have the kind of support that Chris is now getting and start to call up with a vision that the church of our city would raise up and advocate in the same way we've started to see. So you're getting their information to do that. And you had your very first event here at Overflow Church just a few weeks ago. So I think we have a video of that. Let's check that out. And I want to ask you a question about it.
foster care means to me, I think it's just a beautiful picture of just an expression of God's heart towards us who were without, without hope, without a father, someone who invited us into his, his family. And That's so good. And I, and I don't want to brag, but I did ride that shark for 18 seconds, all right? So <laughs> I didn't walk for two days after that, but I rode that shark for 18 seconds. And, and I hadn't had the opportunity before today to tell you guys, but actually Jill and I were able to meet because you have created an environment for this. We were able to meet our foster son's um, birth parents for the first time at this event that you made a way that it's just where the state has been being overwhelmed. There's not a lot of things we've really been allowed to do. And they saw this and said, yeah, we'll allow that. So it really already is fulfilling that. But can you just tell us a little bit about the event and specifically how your missional community, because everything you guys saw, it's a missional community that pulled all of that together. Yeah, definitely. That's <clears throat> If you try to go it alone and put together something like this, you're, you're just going to burn yourself out or it's just not going to come to fruition. Um, our missional community with the Lowe's, the Spiegel's, the Johns, the Rasmussen's, there was never a thought of a no. If there was anything we said, hey, let's try to do this, it was, oh, yeah. You know, so like I said, having the community here and getting with a group and anything that you have that you're maybe burning inside you can definitely come to fruition. And, you know, we didn't know where this was going to go. We didn't know if 10 people would show up or 110. We end up with almost 200, um, you know, in, in the, the first try. So we're going to meet again this week to try to figure out what our next thing will be and what, what the 25 families that were there um, could use the most from us and try to continue giving back. You guys give it up for Jonathan and Nikki. Right on, right on. I don't know if you know this, but it, it's Nikki's birthday today. Oh, oh yes. That's right, yeah. So, Nikki, we have a little presentation for you. You just stand. <laughs> Never a dull moment at Overflow Church. Well, I know we've had such a full morning. There's just one more story, one more interview I want to share with you because I want you to see the progression of where we're going. And then in just a minute when we dismiss our service, we're going to have a baptism right out on the breezeway. So it's going to be a great morning of where we're moving we have one more family that has come, one more missional community. So it started with Josh and Courtney fostering. And then they saw other families coming to our church that were fostering. And then they started partnering there. Then it came to the Hathorns missional community where they started seeing Elaine for advocating. And then most recently, we've seen that right now within our own city, there are people that never get taken in to be adopted. And they graduate out of the foster care system without any support around them. And what would be maybe an orphan spirit they would carry for the rest of their life. Thank God for a ministry called the Grow Into You Foundation that has stood up and said, no, we believe the church has been called to do something about that. And they are putting mentors alongside these people aging out of the foster care system, not only to prepare them for life, but to show them the love of Jesus and for maybe the first time a true family. And so a missional community came around this and have just started hitting the ground running. I want you to welcome Cody and Caitlin Tafflinger and Sarah Rivera.
All right, we keep growing here, guys. So I, we've added chairs. I won't even. Uh, I won't even sit there where you are. I'll come over here. So as you guys have started this brand new um, missional community that you guys have just been getting under underway, Caitlin, I want to start with you because I've watched you literally grow up here at our church. So here in this building, you've been here how long now? Twenty years. Twenty years. So and Caitlin's only twenty-one. So. You had been like the baby crying um, when you came. So as Caitlin has grown up here, um, one of the things that anybody who's known her for any period of time is from as young as I can remember Caitlin, she has desired to advocate. There's this mothering anointing that Caitlin carries that just is going to go with you to the ends of the earth and come alongside you. So when I heard this partnership came, I was like, this is so perfect for you. And then uh, Caitlin and Cody got the opportunity to play part in your wedding and watch that you, you brought alongside you the perfect shepherd that has such a safe and gentle heart to come in with you. Can you share a little bit with us about growing to you and what it is they're doing and specifically how your missional community is coming alongside them? Absolutely. So Growing to You was founded in 2016, and I found out about it for the first time in 2017 because Pastor Ruth served on their board. And I wanted, I just knew from the start that I really wanted to be involved, but as often happens, uh, time went on, and I just never made that connection. And so when we as a missional community sat down and said, okay, what do we want our mission to be, I knew right away grow into you. It had to be. And so um, when the uh, we got the resounding yes uh, from Sarah and Ronnie as well, we uh, connected with Aaron Neesmith, the founder, uh, and began to learn more about it. So grow into you uh, really comes around uh, these teens and um, young adults who have aged out of foster care who um, a lot of the time would find themselves just alone, not with any friends or family, trying to make a way in the world without any support. And um, the goal is to plant hope and to mentor them and help them just wherever they need, just to meet them where they are uh, and help them, whether it's getting into school, finding housing, um, learning how to drive, learning how to manage finances, just whatever it is they need. Uh, and growing to you actually this, I think it was this year, uh, launched a girl's house where uh, they are actually able to take uh, young ladies in and give them a place to live um, until they're able to wow. find permanent housing. And so they also have a boys house, Oak House, um, and we've just had the awesome opportunity to sew into both sides of that. Wow, and Cody, you've actually started in mentoring some. Can you just tell us about how the experience has been? Yeah, I, um, well, I know at first when, when we were getting into uh, working with the ministry, I was pretty nervous about mentoring because I'm not much older than a lot of these people <laughs> coming out of the foster system. So, But one of the things I learned from Aaron's training, which was amazing, was that you don't have to be Superman. You, know, you don't have to be this idealistic person. You just have to be available. You have to be, and whatever resource that you have, they probably don't. So you can provide that for them. And just be a friend. I met with um, Jeremiah not too long ago, just a couple weeks ago. And we just bonded over like TV shows and stuff. So it was, it was really cool. So looking forward to seeing what else happens. And then Sarah, I just wanna ask you this question because I've watched um, a fire just ignite in you over these last months and this boldness that has come out. And specifically, God has given you two opportunities to be right on the front lines as who he always made you to be. 
one within your missional community itself, discipling two precious young ladies coming up, and then one actually mentoring through growing to you. Can you tell us some what God is doing right now, just some of the story of what's happening in your life? Yeah, so when we first um, started the missional community, Aaron um, discipled Jason and I, um, and I started walking in that relationship, um, and it's just become beautiful. It's really one of the highlights of my week. Um, Caitlin is right now, um, and it's just, it's refreshing, it's beautiful, and so I have the opportunity through that to be filled, um, and then I was offered the opportunity to disciple Caitlin's young sisters, uh, Abby and Emily, um, and just to be able to to pour into them what I'm receiving through my own discipleship relationships. Um, it's just it's just a joy, a blessing, and I, I love watching them just growing into who they are and learning who they are in Christ, and as they're kind of like learning to hear the voice of God and how to walk through that, bless the calling on their lives. Um, and then like one of my favorite things is there will be opportunities where they hear from God. It's, it's really special. And I just, I'm just so blessed through that. Um, and then uh, with Grow Into You, as we started um, uh, walking the relationship with that ministry, I was given the opportunity to mentor a young girl um, that's pregnant, um, and she had aged out of foster out of the foster system. Um, and at the time, when I first uh, start, you know, to know her, she was homeless and she was in the car. Um, and so Caitlin and I kind of started pulling out, you know, putting out feelers at like ministries and um, uh, shelters and stuff. Day, and we just kept coming up short. Um, and then just through like. A crazy series of events. Uh, it turned out that we had a woman in our missional community, Sandy, who had a, um, a a room available, and she's she hadn't even met this young lady, and she said, "I have a room for her, and she can move in with me." And so, for the last month and a half or so, um, she has just loved this girl like her own, and she's just shown her so much dignity and honor. Um, and so we we've all just kind of come together, and now it's like. She has four moms. She went from having no moms to now she's got four or five, and we're just you know all around her and supporting her, um, and just kind of loving her through really difficult time in her life. Own and she's saying having a baby pretty soon, um, and so and it's just just doing little things like we don't all have to have someone move in with us. You know, it could be just as simple as simple as you know helping bake a cake. We're having a um, we're doing a gender reveal party on Wednesday, and she said, could you help my friend um, with this party for me? I'm like, absolutely. You know, I have a background in event and wedding planning, and so I was like, that's right up my alley. Like, that's no big deal. I would love to do that. Um, and then she texted me during the week, and she said, I really want to get dressed for my party. Would you take me shopping? And I'm like, yeah, I love shopping. Let's go shopping. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so we went shopping yesterday. Um, and it's just, like it's, we don't have to do big things. We just kind of all come together, and in, with the gifts, giftings and the means that we have, we love her, and like we're going to celebrate this yeah. just as if you were uh, a member in our church. We're going to love this child, and we're going to love you. And we're well, and one of the things I love that you shared was even when we were talking about this, you said, you know, I can't even say sit, sit up here and say any of this is hard. This is just a joy. I'm just yeah. being who God created me to be. Yeah. 
and you said, you know, it's, it's like it's not a program. I, I have permission to be me. And you started to share these things like planning parties and doing stuff like this. And so recently, even in your discipleship relationship, you guys hit the road and went on a road trip yeah. to, was it Gatlinburg? We did. So you went to Tennessee, and you're like, this is the best yeah. ever, yeah. like that I could just be free to do this. Yeah. And one of the reasons that I wanted to bring them and the other stories before us is I wanted to show you a diversity of people all saying the same thing, that who God created them to be in their city matters, and that they have permission to run in community, not to do some other program of Tuesday nights, we're going to do this thing and check this box, but to say, no, actually, because Christ is in me, there's a beauty and power I'm supposed to release to the city, and as we walk in community, we can go there together, and it's really, really beautiful. Can you guys give it up for the Tafflingers and Riveras? And I want to ask if you'd stand with me. This morning, as we've looked at a lot of information, what we've actually been looking at is moving the line of how do we change our region as the church. And so I want to put just one more slide up this morning. We talked about how the church needs to reclaim her place in justice and leadership in the arts and in our sphere of influence. So if we could just pull that slide up. Right now at our church, there are missional communities coming around a number of these justice causes where you see foster care and advocacy where you heard about prison reform, spiritual restoration, pregnancy care, homelessness. We've had people right now, missional communities, seeing about um, cancer and chronic illness care and then even asking. We've got a meeting coming up uh, in this next week or so about fighting sex trafficking here. We've largely seen our missional communities go toward justice, but God has said it's time for us to broaden our scope, broaden our vision for our city, because there are places right now where maybe God has given you a passion for leadership. You might be like Jonathan with a passion for leadership in the midst of a justice missional community, and you know how to move things and get them done. Or you might actually have a vision for something in restoring justice and order in our city. And there's been a separation between the world where you work and the world where you worship. And I want to tell you that God is calling you out to be a part of a missional community where you can actually run with that glory and see things change in our city just like they do when you go to work. For some, it's going to be the arts. You've seen what's happened with middle school and high school students, but I see the vision, guys. I can see it. I can see the day that every coffee shop and every restaurant and all across our city, we're actually celebrating the arts and artists in such a way that they're not seen as just the entertainment or court jesters, but they're seen as showing us the beauty to be inspired to see a pathway how to know God. And I believe God has called Overflow Church to lead the charge there for our city, the way we do it as missional community. Or maybe it's within your own sphere of influence. Maybe there's you and a few other families that it's your kid's Little League team or your homeowners association or some place where one of you serve as the board of directors where you say, we can make a difference here for the cause of Christ. What we're looking at is not building another program. We're looking at being the church that would come together and hear. And so if you want to know what I want you to hear this morning, Jonathan found his lane. Sarah found her lane. Courtney found her lane. And now when they're running, they're saying, I can't believe I have the permission to run in my city and do this. So I just want to ask this question right now. What is it that's broken in our city that you have a passion to see Jesus fix? What is it that's missing in our region that you light up? And sometimes you're going to know it by what annoys you when you see it's dysfunctional. 
When you see this thing isn't together, you're like, oh my gosh, if people could just see this. Listen, that's Christ in you, the hope of glory, and it's not supposed to be separated and sacred and secular. So I make a declaration that who you are deeply is spiritual, and we need you to run in community as you, because that's the way that we change our region. So very simply, I just want to ask this question this morning. If you'd close your eyes and just ask the Lord, where is it that you've given me a passion? Where is it you've given me a lane where I can run? It's not another program, not another thing to add to my schedule, but actually will will fill me with fullness. And in that place, I'm just going to give two charges this morning. The first is this. If you are currently in a missional community, maybe you're going to a missional community, you're hearing these testimonies, and you're like, you know what? That's awesome. Our missional community has been great. The community is great, but we mostly feel like a Bible study with a mission we'll sometimes talk about. I want to encourage you, whether you're the leader or the member, go back to your missional community and say, hey, God's inviting us to dream. Where is it we can run in that same way and enjoy it in that same way and order our group in that same way? If you're a missional community leader and you want to know how to do that better, that's what we're here for as your pastors, to help you see how to run and love it. Second charge is this, if you're not a part of a missional community. I want to tell you that what God has desired for you to do, he did not call for you to run solo. He's called for you to belong to a family, to a body, to a community, not so you can get an attendance report at a Bible study, but so Christ in you can be the hope of glory. I'm going to be here up front, and Pastor Lynn's going to be here up front, that if God is speaking to you, that it is time for you to join or lead a missional community. If he's saying it's time to step out, it's time for that story to look like my story, we want to talk to you this morning. But right now, I just want to pray for you, and I want to pray for us in our region, in our city. So, Father, I ask right now, did this vision become a reality? I do not believe that the best days of the church are behind her. I do not believe that what you've called us for is just to be within our walls as a monastery and have Bible studies together. I believe you've called us as a city on a hill to speak out light to the darkness. And I believe you've already equipped us. You've already called us. You've already given us passions within. So I ask right now, Holy Spirit, that any person who would be doubting or questioning or counting themselves out, that you, Holy Spirit, would come in the same way you did to Jonathan to say, hey, step out. It's time to see who you are. I ask, Lord, that you would put together the picture of who we are and that we together would walk as a church that would see our region changed for the name of Christ as a city on a hill. If you agree with that, say